This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. I'm Jake Litarski, joined today by John Litterine. If you're out there on Twitter, you can give John a follow at J-O-N-L-I-T-T-E-R-I-N-E. You can follow me at Jakeski52. John and I today are going to be making our fantasy picks for the biggest fights of UFC 218, live at uh, what I believe is a brand new Little Caesars Center in Detroit on Saturday, competing with a lot of college football action, but still an excellent card nonetheless. John, thank you for joining me so far. Been a little bit going on in uh, the world of MMA since we last fought. Uh, most notably, I think one of the bigger stories has been Michael Bisping of late. Uh, so before we get going on the main card, I just want to ask you, uh, hey, how are you doing? And what are your thoughts on the Bisping turnaround? Did he get back in the octagon too soon? Um, I'm doing good, thanks. Um, you know, he probably did, but I think he kind of realizes that he's, you know, more or less essentially at the end of his career. And... After the loss to GSP in which he lost his belt, um, I think he kind of came to the realization that, you know, he might have after this, uh, you know, most recent one against Kelvin Gasol. I mean, he might have one more fight left, maybe a retirement fight in like London or something like that. And, you know, going from GSP to Kelvin Gaslam in, in such a short span of time is, you know, it's tough, obviously, to, you know, for different reasons. You know, GSP with all his skills and, and Gaslam being so much younger. Um, but I think Bisping is kind of at the point where he realizes that he's trending towards the end and, you know, he had a chance to get, you know, another main event paycheck. And now he, if he decides that an upcoming fight will be his last one, um, you know, he can build up to that. And, you know, because he has such a, per, you know, popular personality and a good personality and, good actor and you know commentator and he can do all these different things he's he's not going to lack for opportunities outside mm-hmm. of the octagon so i'm pretty um, sure he might be back in the booth this weekend if, if not very very soon yeah he you know he's he's not going to have a problem you know finding work and staying busy so um you know we talk about all the time how guys seem to hang on for too long uh, hopefully he realizes that 
you know, he's a chance to, and the UFC for their part, you know, if he does decide to book one more fight and it is his last one, um, you know, they got to be kind of careful about, you know, who they book him against. He's essentially just gets by on grit and toughness these days and mm-hmm. facing, you know, world-class, you know, all-time greats like GSP and then, you know, young up-and-coming guys like, like mm-hmm. Gaslam, you know, it's not a good idea given where he's at at this point in his career. So I was a little surprised that, you know, he did it, but, you know, we know he's never one to turn down a fight. So, you know, if you look at it that way, it's not that big of a surprise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, playing matchmaker at all. Anyone you'd like to see him fight at all? I'm trying to look to see if there are any losses he could avenge. I don't know if Tim Kennedy's around anymore. Vitor, Vitor Belfort is in the same boat, yeah. just barely stringing along. Yeah, I mean, Vitor Belfort was, that's the kind of name I was thinking of. He's fighting Uriah Hall coming up uh, early next year, I believe. So mm-hmm. a name like that, you know, I don't know. Nate Marquardt has a fight schedule too, I think. But, you know, somebody like that, you don't want to put, you know, a guy who is obviously, you know, turning towards the end of his career against, mm-hmm. you know, young top, you know, young yeah. top No guys. reason to give him Whitaker or Romero at this point, basically. No, oh, and, you know, they, they the UFC realizes that. and mm-hmm. But, you know. They're all, you know, booking is about money and, and you know, eyeballs and opportunity and, and stuff like that. So they don't. Um, that's why, you know, they don't always make the matchups that make the most sense. But, you know, there are some guys who, you know, if you say they're never going to walk away until somebody literally, you know, says you're not fighting anymore. Diego you know, Sanchez. Yeah, yeah, you know, or, you know, even Dan Henderson for a while. So, um, you know, Bisping doesn't strike me as that kind of guy, but I guess we'll see. Yeah, right on. All right, well, uh, that was good to hear your thoughts on that here. But we might as well move in to the UFC 218 card, which, of course, it's always going to be tough to follow up a Madison Square Garden event in which there were three title fights and and some some two two of those belts changing here, or actually all three of them. But um, uh, so that was a crazy card here. But uh, we're going to try and get into the UFC 218 card where we've got a featherweight matchup, featherweight title matchup here in the main event. Max Holloway is going to go up against Jose Aldo for the second time here. Now, Aldo gets this fight because it was originally supposed to be Frankie Edgar. Uh, Edgar ended up withdrawing due to injury and really one of the best matchups. You were just talking about name recognition, John, but one of the best matchups that they could put on in the featherweight division, um, of course, is Jose Aldo. Now, this fight is... People seem to have a lot of recency bias. At least that's the way I see it, John, because Holloway's 9,300, Aldo's 6,900, which I think is the lowest set. It's the best fighter of all time to ever be under $7,000. And then the odds seem to like Holloway quite a bit, too, at minus 310, Aldo about plus 255. Odds makers like seeing this one finish with minus 185 odds to finish here. I think we're both picking Holloway, but are people counting out Aldo too soon? Well, the odds makers and the, the DK salaries will tell you that they are. And, you know, Jose Aldo is, there's no doubt about it, he caught a break. Um, you know, the injury to Frankie Edgar gives him a chance immediately you know, to get back in there and, and win his belt back. And, you know, everything Max Holloway has done over the past four years or so, it, you know, it's really remarkable. 11 wins in a row. You know, we talked about Aldo, Anthony Pettis, Ricardo Lamas, Charles Oliveira, Cub Swanson, and very, very few of those sites have been close. Um, he's dominated most everybody. And, but like you mentioned, this is, uh, in Aldo, this is a guy who not that long ago went, you know, darn near a decade without losing a fight. And he's the biggest issue, the two big issues that I think go in Holloway's favor is one is the size difference. Um, you know, Holloway is the much longer fighter. 
and um, that's an advantage. Um, uh, I don't think, I certainly don't think Aldo fought to his capability in the first fight. You know, he said he was banged up. Um, Talked about the injury, and yeah. that, that seemed to limit the the leg kicks, which I, I don't know if I'm getting ahead of you, John, but that's one of the big factors no, for so me was the lack of leg kicks in the first fight. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly one of his biggest weapons, and, you know, it always has been. And the difference, and the big, I mean, the biggest difference or the biggest advantage I imagine Holloway is going to have is in the cardio department. Um, I have a lot more confidence that Holloway will be an effective fighter in the fourth and the fifth round if it gets there than I do, than I do Aldo. But, um, in the first fight between the two, Aldo did, you know, he did pretty well the first couple rounds. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he hurt him. I mean, yeah. he it didn't look like he was a, just about to win the fight at any point, but he did do some damage. And I feel like people are forgetting about that. They are. And the other thing, the other thing is it certainly didn't look like his, you know, the Conor McGregor loss. And I've said this before, Aldo's lost to McGregor. He kind of looked defeated before he got in there. He, mm-hmm. His body language wasn't good. And, you know, the whole thing was kind of a mess. He didn't look that way against all, you know, in the first fight against Holloway. You know, he looked strong. He just yeah. Holloway, Holloway is really good. And the scary thing about Holloway is he's only getting better. You know, for he's a kid only twenty five. Yep, only twenty five. A kid who's so young and has improved, you know, so rapidly over the past four years or so that he's young enough that it's reasonable to expect him to continue to get better. Now, like you said, Aldo throws a lot of kicks. He didn't in the first fight, which certainly. Um, limits his attack but you know you look at it from the other you know the other side and Holloway is just about as good as anybody in the sport at throwing you know consistent combinations and awkward angles and that kind of stuff because he's not a guy who you would say is you know a traditional power puncher you know he's not like a true one punch knockout guy you know he doesn't have that kind of power a lot of volume 5.79 significant strikes landed per minute for Holloway yeah, he he out he outworks you, and um, Aldo is going to have to get inside, you know, to land those leg kicks. Holloway is four inches taller. Aldo has a one inch reach advantage, but that doesn't mean a whole lot when Holloway has a two inch leg reach advantage, you know. So this is a close fight. It's way way closer than the odds and the salaries would indicate. Um, if you're looking at it from a DK perspective. Um, I think there's I, I I would feel more comf- far more comfortable with Aldo at his salary than I would with Holloway at his. Mm-hmm. Um, but after everything Holloway's done over the last four years, he certainly deserves to be a favorite. You know, he's put together a body of work that you know he gets the benefit of the doubt at this point. You know, mm-hmm. for a while people thought maybe there were you know this whole whole entire thing in this run there was some flukiness to it, but there's not. I mean, the guy's really really good. And, um, you know, Aldo, like I said, he's catching a break. He gets a chance to redeem himself. It's not often you lose a title fight and, you know, five months later, six months later, get a shot to regain your belt against, you know, the same exact guy. So he's going to get a chance here. And I expect this to probably be a close, long fight. And in a close, long fight, I think Holloway, um, Holloway's cardio gives him the edge. But, again, little difference and... Both of the both the Vegas odds and the DK salaries are are a bit out of whack, as you mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. So 
in my first initial DraftKings lineup, I did call it the A lineup, if you will. I have three heavy favorites. I, I will get to that uh, later on in the show, talking about the big favorites and, and what to think about them. But I have three guys, $9,000 or above. And the only way I could do that was by using Aldo at 6900 And even if he doesn't win, I think volume-wise and the fact that it's a five-round fight, if he lasts a little bit longer, he could still land enough significant strikes to potentially get some DraftKings points. So I just think there's, at 6,900, there's so much, and he could win. I mean, I you know, I, we're both picking Holloway. I think four out of the five of us on the staff are, are picking Holloway. Staff picks will come on the website uh, right about the same time we're publishing, publishing the show here. Um, but so he, I think there's enough volume there that he could get you maybe 50 DraftKings points in a loss, which would it almost reminds me of uh, remember when when Nate Diaz and Conor McGregor fought for the second time. Diaz was much cheaper on DraftKings, and you know McGregor got the win bonus, but it, it was Diaz that had so much significant strikes that it ended up with 60 or 70 fantasy points, and as actually helpful. I think we could see something similar to that here. So. Uh, I understand using Holloway on DraftKings. I think it'd be a decent tournament play because I think a lot of uh, DFS players are going to see this fight the same way as us. Um, so they might be shy away from someone as expensive as Holloway at 9300 and that'll keep his ownership percentage down. And like I said, we both think he's going to win, but I think there's a ton of value in using Aldo on DraftKings. Yeah, I, I'd, be, like, I'd be surprised if Aldo was overwhelmed. You know, I'd be surprised if this was either way, a lopsided fight. I expect it to be close. Mm-hmm. Very, very close. Well, let's head to the co-main, John, where we got a we got a banger. We got a pair of heavyweights, and I've been excited for this fight for a very, very long time because I I just I can't help but get excited when I watch any film of Francis the Predator in Ganu. He's going to take on. He's the young up and comer going up against the heavyweight staple. I I, I think calling. Alistair Overeem, a gatekeeper, would be not quite fair to him because he is the elite of the division. Um, both of these guys are looking to get their shot at Stipe Miocic if, if Stipe and the UFC ever get their uh, their UFC their contract negotiations sorted out. But this is essentially a title eliminator fight. The next guy should get Stipe. Uh, and the odds makers and DraftKings have this quite a bit in favor of the young guy, Francis Ngannou's 9,100, Overeem's just 7,100, Ngannou a minus 245, minus 250 favorite. Uh, the one thing that we can all agree on is this fight's probably not going to see the final bell. The odds to finish are minus 365. John, who are you picking, and how do you see this one playing out, if if you can even analyze these two heavyweights? Because anyone can connect. You know, I'm I'm all in on Francis Ngannou. I, he's... He's one of my few guys. We talk about this a lot. He, I got a few guys. He's one. Steven Thompson's another. Uh, Kamari Usman. I got a few of them. He's one of them. Uh, this guy, I think he's the scariest guy on the entire roster. Um, the thing, what we have seen from this guy, uh, Naganu, that is, in a short amount of time is absolutely unbelievable. Um, the power... Um, the submission skills, the Kimura he slapped on Anthony Hamilton out of nowhere, um, you know, just under that, a year ago. That was insane. It was basically a Kimura that he put in place while standing up. And he's he's a guy who is essentially, you know, learning learning as he goes. Really, you know, a guy who got a late start to the sport, um, you know, before he entered the UFC. Very limited experience and, you know, limited experience against, you know, anything even close to, you know, quality competition. Now, 
as good as he looks, and uh, I'm, you know, he's certainly my pick, and I'm all in on him. You got to remember, Alistair Overeem, like, is not a gatekeeper, like you mentioned. Um, the state of the heavyweight division is a little awkward in the sense that, you know, all there's a good, I don't know, seven, eight, maybe a little less than that, maybe you know, more like five or six, you know, guys below Stipe Miocic who are kind of grouped together. There's not a whole lot of separation, you know, if any of them fought any of the other ones and you said, you know, well, the, you know, either of them could probably win. It, it, he's jumbled in there, but I guess he has to take this fight. I mean, I don't know what he's, I don't, I don't, I don't think he can, I don't think he can say no. He probably gets a title shot, at, like I say, he probably gets a title shot if he wins. So, um, you know, he can't say no, but the problem is even when he does do well, Overeem gets hit a lot. He doesn't move well. Obviously, he has a ton of power, always has with, you know, his striking background, has a ton of power, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, the guy's been competing forever. He's 37 oh, years old and has, you know, 58 professional fights under his belt, uh, you know, on the Sherdog page. Trains out of Jackson Wink, so you know that, that that aspect of his game is solid, but like you said, John, I, I just don't know if I can pick against the Predator at any point. No, if, if, but the problem, if you stand in front of this guy, meaning Naganu, I... I don't see how you're going to survive, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's um, a very tough one. At, at least from what we've seen so far, you know, the, the only two ways uh, I think you can beat him is one, you know, that one punch knockout type, you know, mm-hmm. which could happen to anybody. Like he almost did to Stipe. That right. happened in their first fight. He knocked him down. Right. You know, I mean, that can happen in any fight. So, you know, that those those are kind of hard to predict. And the other thing would be to wrestle, you know, to try and wrestle the guy. But the guy's so big and so strong and such, I mean, from, again, we're going off limit, limited viewings. You know, he, he hasn't, you know, we have not seen this guy at all. I've got but. five fights in the UFC, and uh, if you would account, dra- if you'd account DraftKings points back in 2015, he's had 88 or more DraftKings points in every single fight, and he's had back-to-back first-round stoppages. So. Three straight first-round stoppages. Three, oh, geez, three straight. I forgot about the submission. Yeah, wow. Oh, yeah, he's 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 this guy is something else, and you know we're gonna get a be- we're gonna get a better idea of you know how le- I mean how truly legitimate this guy is. And I'll tell you right now, if he destroys Overeem and he gets a title shot, I'm picking him over Stipe Miocic. Oh yeah, because mm-hmm. I mean, and and I like Stipe, and I think Stipe is the best. Uh, him and Kane are the best athletes in the division, but I'm telling you, this guy is something else. Naganu has, is one of a true handful of guys who you could legitimately say have like top of the mark, like lead the company superstar potential. Mm-hmm. And I'm mean, only like five or six of them. There are not many of them, but this guy is one of them. And again, that's why they have the fights. You know, we've seen this before and we've seen it all come crashing down. And, He's 31 years old, so he turned 31 in, in September. So he got a late start, like we said, and you know he's he's essentially in his athletic prime now. You know, he's not a 22 or 23 year old kid, so I understand the decision to try and push him, you know, more than some of these other young kids have been pushed in the past. Mm-hmm. But this guy is terrifying, yes. and uh, you know, Overeem gets hit too much. He gets hit too much even when he wins. So uh, unless he wrestles and Naganu, you know. Turns out he totally can't handle anybody trying to take him down repeatedly. I don't see how um, he handles his power. Yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you, John. The laws of human strength and athleticism 
and even speed for somebody this big do not apply to Francis Ngannou. He is a he, he's got a wingspan about the same of John Bones Jones. The guy is you know typical expectations or or principles of jujitsu. Anything you know he can come into this fight. Francis Ngannou can without being as technically sound in any area and more than make up for it with his strength and athleticism. So I very much see where you're coming from with this one, John. I'm picking Nganu too at 9,100. He's not even the most expensive guy on the card because we do got to give over him a little bit of respect. But Nganu is going to be in just about every single DraftKings lineup I make it, cash or tournament. Tournament because I don't want to miss out on a potentially huge point total. Cash game because I think he's as close to a lock to get you 80, 90 fantasy points as it gets. So uh, Nganu... We both really like on DraftKings here. Let's move on, though, John. Got a flyweight fight next. Uh, this is an interesting one. This is another, essentially, what I think is a title eliminator because Joseph Benavides has that ACL injury. I don't think he's going to be able to fight for a while yet. So we're looking at Henry Cejudo against Sergio Pettis. Cejudo, 9,200. Pettis, a cool 7,000. Pretty cheap. Uh, Cejudo, minus 255. Pettis, plus 215. Vegas actually likes this one to finish at about minus 245, which is a little surprising for me, given that it's only three rounds. Uh, but who are you picking, and how, how is this one playing out? I'm picking Cejudo to win, but I'm not, I'm not crazy about either of them. Mm-hmm. Um, Pettis simply is, has a cheap salary, um, but I don't think he's going to win. So, you know, that, that, uh, that eliminate. And not only do I not think he's going to win, there, there's, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he's dominated because Cejudo has that kind of ability in game at times. So that's, that's why I'm not crazy about Pettis. And, you know, Cejudo 9,200 is a lot for a guy who you know, has essentially been inconsistent, really, mm-hmm. you know, when, when you think about it. And, yeah, the striking's you know, got, improved, I'll give him that. But you're right, a little bit up and down against, you know, some of the top top guys. That's the big thing for Cejudo. You know, he he's a gold medal, Olympia, a gold medal Olympic wrestler, so... Always Look, has that to fall back on. Yep. Yeah, the guy's not going to forget. You know, the guy is obviously a world class wrestler, always will be. But his striking in his most recent win over uh, Wilson Hayes in September. So again, you're real short turnaround for him too. You're looking at less than two months for him. Um, uh, excuse me, less than three months. Um, but his striking in the Hayes fight was um, markedly improved, which has always been the big question because. You know, he's obviously a world-class grappler and um, another guy who picked up the sport late because, uh, you know, he was he was wrestling, you know, his entire life. So um, if his striking is if his striking advancements are legitimate and as far as the, you know, the domination we saw in the Hayes fight isn't a fluke. With Benavidez getting older in age and like you said, banged up, I think it would be pretty clear that Cejudo would be the second best flyweight in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and this fight means a lot more for Cejudo um, than it does for Sergio Pettis. And the simple reason is just because Sergio Pettis is 24 years old. Mm-hmm. And if you're 24 years old and you know, you, he's getting a huge opportunity for fight winning streak. But if you're 24 years old and you lose, you know, you have time to get back on the horse, you know, and build yourself back up. Um, so in that case, you know, this is a bigger fight for Cejudo than it is for Pettis. Not crazy about either of them. Agree with you in the sense that I'm surprised, I'm surprised at the odds to finish. I, I would think there's a decent chance this thing sees the final bell, but, um, I, I, it's, yeah, I don't know. This fight doesn't do a ton for me. Um, I don't know why I, I, I've never been the biggest Pettis supporter. 
even though he's shown more good than bad. But I don't know. This is this is kind of like a meh fight for me. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not. It's not like know. the next one we're going to talk about here in just a second. I do have oh, to make a correction. The next one's going to the next one's going to yeah. be an all out disaster mm-hmm. somehow. Yeah. So I, I do need to make a correction. I was looking at the uh, at the fights go to a decision uh, marks. Uh, the odds to finish are plus two hundred. So for me, Vegas oh, agrees. Okay. That sounds yeah, right. That, yeah, that sounds about right. Okay. Yeah, that's about that right is- to me. And and for me, that reason is, you know, I, I like Cejudo to win as well. Um, I think he'll be able to, you know, probably rack up more points and, and even takedowns if he has to against Pettis. Um, I think Pettis is good enough that this fight should see the final bell. And, you know, if this were a, if this were for some reason a five-round fight, like if this were main, main event, you know, like a Fox card, uh, then I would maybe pick one of these guys on DraftKings because there'll be two more full rounds to potentially get strikes or takedowns in Cejudo's case. Well, Cejudo can do both. Well, but for now, I'm fading this fight. I don't have either of these guys in any of my lineups right now. Well, if you look at it this way, I, and I know you're, you're with me, you know, I would spend 6900 on Aldo all day before I spent 7000 on Pettis. Yeah, exactly. And that's an either-or that you know fantasy owners looking for salary relief are going to have to make. And I would take Aldo because definitely the five-round fight and you know more opportunities to score points and, and and just a better guy. So yeah, we're definitely on the same page at this one, John. But we alluded to it a second ago. We got to get to this lightweight fight candidate here. It's a candidate I think will be for fight of the year, even coming in December. December. I'm stoked for this fight. Eddie Alvarez, Justin Gaethje. Uh, Alvarez is 7,500. Gaethje 8,700. Gaethje's been on quite a streak and had a very nice UFC debut against Michael Johnson. One of the, one of the better fights of the year as well. Um, Gaethje, the former World Series of Fighting uh, world champion, going to test himself with a step up in competition. Gaethje is a minus 175 favorite, and he's 1,200 more than Alvarez on DraftKings. Alvarez is a plus 155 dog. Odds to finish are minus 210. These two are going to stand and bang like rock'em, sock'em robots until someone goes down. And even when someone goes down, he's probably going to get back up two or three times and, and bite down on the mouthpiece and do it again. Uh, John, how tough is this brawl to predict? Virtually impossible, and that's why um, – that's the main reason that I picked Alvarez. Um, you know, I will say that if this fight plays out how you just described, there may be no better fighter on the planet than Justin Gage. His ability to, you know, take punishment and deliver punishment and somehow win fights – is it's disturbing, you know, for lack of a better word. I don't know how he does it. And I've been critical of Gaethje before in the sense that he, I've said that he's a one-dimensional brawler, which he is. And it he is by choice because he has a wrestling background. And, you know, if he wanted to use it, he, you know, could be and is a well-rounded fighter. And, um... I heard uh, or I saw somewhere Eddie Alvarez say something the other day that he just, you know, essentially doesn't care what, what the end, you know, what's going to happen. And I'm trying to look up that quote now, actually. He's just going to go in and just, you know, go to war and and totally, you know, disregard everything. And we'll see what happens. And that's what Michael Johnson did uh, against GHG. And that's quite honestly my Michael Johnson lost. Um, Johnson had chances to win that fight. Gaethje survived. Johnson kept fighting like an idiot, and he ultimately ultimately lost. So I'm taking Alvarez for two main reasons. The first one being I've been hard on Gaethje, and you know I'm not backing off now. And the second is 
you can't predict brawls like a brawl like this at all. And when you can't predict a brawl, um, I usually take the guy who gives you the better payoff. And in this case, uh, it's a I'm really surprised actually the difference in both the salaries and the odds. Um, you know, Eddie Alvarez, you know, former UFC, you know, champion. There's, and I've seen Justin Gaethje in fights against what I'll politely call, you know, marginal, you know, talent opposition wise and almost lose because of the way he fights. And he has, and he has openly admitted in the past that, you know, he's going to get knocked out one day because of the way he fights. And it could very well come on Saturday. Easily could. And you know, this is going to, these good times for him are going to end eventually because, you know, because of how he fights. And no, we are, on the other hand, though, we've seen guys, we've seen the UFC guys in the UFC get released. Jared Rossholt was the biggest example. Guys who, you know, are racking up wins, but they fight such a boring style. The USG, the UFC just gets rid of them. Mm-hmm. You know, look at Gagey. He's parlayed, you know, his violent style into, you know, a job, you know, coaching tough and uh, to- coaching the ultimate fighter, excuse me. And, you know, now I'm sure he has a, you know, very, very lucrative contract and he got money for coaching tough. And, you know, now he's in a huge fight. So, you know, there's, there's, and he'll continue to get good, huge fights like this. He'll get, he's going to get a huge fight even if he loses. You can't, so, you can't roll him out there on a not pay-per-view card anymore. He's going to be on pay-per-view for the rest of his UFC career. Yeah, or he's going to be headlining a Fox. You know, either way, it, it's mm-hmm. a spot where he's going to get a bunch of money. So, exactly. you know, and, and if he loses, you know, to Alvarez, you know, you know what everybody's going to say. Well, it was a bloody war. He took a ton of punishment. He took, you know, more punishment than 99.99% of the world could take. And, you know, then he got finished. So he, does it even look that bad that he lost, it, you know, if he battles, you know, as hard as he's going to? So, you know, it, it, there are two, there are both ways to look at it. And some some guys are real. And Alvarez is, is in the same boat in the sense that they're more about producing entertaining fights than they are sometimes about winning or losing. But the problem is Alvarez needs to win this fight more than Gaethje does. And, um, you know, that's why if, if he would be better served to try and wrestle or, you know, try and not act like a total fool, but it's not going to happen. So, so here's the quote that I was looking for. I'll, I'll do my best with the bleeper here, but Eddie Alvarez, I'm going to be honest. I don't bleeping know. I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know what's going to happen. I will say this. It's going to be bleeping nuts because I spent a great deal of this training camp working, not giving a bleep myself. So... Yeah, it essentially means he doesn't care, mm-hmm. and he's just going to go in there and just try and beat the holy hell out of him. Yeah, which is great for fight fans, not the best plan for Alvarez. You would think that he would try to use utilize his wrestling a little bit more, but I mean, uh, we, we've talked about this in the past. Gaethje can wrestle before. He's got wrestling credentials. It just hasn't quite, uh, uh, and he just refuses to rely on those skills. So maybe Alvarez gets that aspect of his game going as a fight the fan in me um, says I don't want that to happen. But, man, at 7,500, I'll tell you, I'm throwing him in my lineup, too. Um, and I actually went ahead and picked this fight. I, I take, I'll take someone. I like Alvarez's body of work, his experience, whether they've been wins or losses. He's been fighting the elite fighters for years now. And um, I think he'll have the better game plan if i mean he i know i know what he says he's gonna do but he has to know in the back of his mind that that's not the greatest idea maybe he's just gonna come out and brawl for the fans but um in a fight where there's gonna be fists flying and the outcome is a coin toss i will take the 7500 dollars fighter that that that's pretty much what it comes down to 
it's more just a, just a payoff thing. The only thing I will acknowledge is if this ends up being the kind of fight that we're predicting, nobody fights better in those kind of fights than Gaethje. So, you know, take that for what you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Gaethje will get hit in the chin over and over again. And Johnson clocked him a bunch of times, but he just kept going. And, uh, you know, he was wobbled so bad, he, I think he messed up his backflip he does afterwards. But uh, maybe we'll see him backflip against Saturday. I don't think either you or I are banking on it, at least if you're playing daily fantasy for the contest. But, John, kicking off the pay-per-view, we got a quick touch on this women's strawweight matchup between Michelle Waterson, Tesha Torres. Vegas and DraftKings like Torres to win this one a lot. 8,600 for Torres, 7,600 for Waterson. Waterson's plus 170. Torres is minus 200 in the betting odds. Probably a fight that's not going to go to the f- to the finish here. Who you got? Waterson, for the same reason I have Alvarez, I think it's a, like essentially a pick fight, and I'm surprised at how lopsided the salaries are. Um, you know, I think, I think, I just think Waterson is a much better value play. And the main reason being that as good as Tisha Torres is, she's really just a kickboxer and she's, you know, I mean, no woman in the 115 pound division is large, but you know, she's, she's really tiny. She's given up a couple inches to, to Michelle Waterson and Waterson is a good wrestler and a very, very good submission specialist. That's that's really her her bread and butter. And um, I'm interesting. I'm interested to see how Tisha's takedown defense holds up. It's just over 69 percent her UFC career. So you know, it's not great. You know that that's it's a little six seven. It's just about 70 percent is. It's not horrible, but it you know the elite guys are you know up in the you know the mid to high eighties, so it's not a terrific number. Um, the one thing I will say about Torres is she's uh, you know she's deceptively strong for a, you know a woman who is you know all a five foot nothing. She's stronger than it would lead you to believe. But I will say I think Waterson is one of those fighters who is willing to implement a game plan to win. Like we just talked about how Alvarez isn't going to do it. I think Waterson will. And, um, you know, again, essentially for me, more or less a pick em fight, but, uh, you know, better return on your investment for Waterson. But uh, this is a good fight and one that's really isn't being talked about essentially anywhere. Um, but, uh, you know, two good women who really in a, divi- in a division, you know, that's now wide open with, you know, Joanna losing her belt, two women that really aren't all that far away from the title shot. Yeah, speaking of uh, Joanna losing her belt, she lost that belt to Rose Namajunas, of course. Uh, Michelle Waterson fought Namajunas in her last fight, was submitted in the second round via rear naked choke. Um, and let's see, what do I have here? Torres did fight uh, Namajunas uh, in 2016, lost that fight via decision, but still got in 61 strikes. But of course, Namajunas then and Namajunas at, at each of those points are very, very separate spots in the career. Um I went with you, or I actually, I actually picked the favorite in Torres in this one. Um, I've I, she, she, she seems like someone who I've underestimated and counted out a lot. But the tiny tornado, you know, you mentioned her not having a ton of size, but uh, strength for her size and core strength, and I think she'll be able to do it just enough. Where if the fight gets to the ground, she might be able to um, to go ahead and 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 avoid some of the submissions of. Of Waterson, it's a it's a very interesting dilemma here. I mean, Torres has 
never it's a small ufc career and a small sample size never been submitted in her 10 fights the only fight she lost was to rose by decision uh and she's been hot she beat angela hill who i think pretty highly of still although she's hit a rough patch um you know beat rose she actually beat rose nami Yunus in, in invicta all the way back in 2013 has a win against Paige van zandt felice herrig fighters that are, are, are contending so um i go i go with torres but from a DraftKings perspective I either use Waterson or fade this fight. I'm right with you. I, I don't. I don't like Waterson enough to quite pick her. Um, but I think it'd be great for the UFC if she wins. She's very marketable. Uh, the fans do love her. Uh, she's you know she's got a great personality. Um, cool girl, fun to watch. Um, but I'm I'm picking Torres and fading this one in DFS because again it's a three round fight that's probably going to see the final bell. Can either woman get enough strikes in or takedowns to get you a solid? DraftKings return on your investment. I'm doubtful of that. Both have excellent excellent camps. Tesha Torres is an American top team. Nami Yunus at Jackson Wink. Uh, it's a closer fight than they indicate. Um, I'm going Torres. You're going Watterson. But this, like, like we we can agree that this is a toss up here uh, at the end here. But uh, before we wrap up with. Um, the show here, there are a couple DraftKings specific things I want to get to. Um, I need a DraftKings value play for this, John. Uh, you know, we, we both like Alvarez at 7,300. Watterson gives you some salary relief at 76. But any other live dogs on the card that you're looking to throw in your lineups? You know, there are a couple and more because, and this is always dangerous, but more because I don't think they're, the favorites are all that great. And that's mm-hmm. that's the first two fights on the on the card overall, and that's, the Amanda Cooper, uh, Angela Magana fight and the Justin Willis, Alan Crowder fight. Um, both Crowder and Magana are pretty hefty underdogs. Crowder's 7,400, Magana is 7,100. Um, I don't think either of them are particularly great, but nor do I think their opponents, Justin Willis for Crowder or Amanda Cooper for Magana are really all that good either. So, you know, if, if you're, you're struggling you know that there you have some higher salary fighters that that you're insistent that you want to get in. You know, throwing in one of those underdogs in, in one of the first two fights might not be the worst thing in the world, only because you know the competition they're facing isn't exactly the stiffest. Yeah, I was admittedly a little bit perplexed by Cooper's salary when I first saw it at ninety one hundred. I'm not quite sure she. I mean, her her price is the same as Francis and Ganu, and I'm taking Ganu over Cooper one hundred percent of the time. I don't even make a uh you know a b c d e f g lineup with cooper in just for a tournament strategy I, I, i'm not quite buying it i, I make that encounter decision every time um but as far as value for me one that was interesting to me um was charles Oliveira against paul felder and i've underestimated Oliveira before and he's came through with uh, a submission in the past the will brooks fight comes to mind felder's 8500 Oliveira is uh now it's charles and alex Oliveira both fighting on this so don't be sure not to mix them up but charles Oliveira, 7700 he's only he opened at plus 130 he's only a plus 115 dog so you know the first thing i look for at value is looking for math and uh, I, I try to see the narrowest odds with the highest salary discrepancy and match that up. And, of course, Oliveira fits that bill. Now, Paul Felder has never been submitted, but it's not he doesn't have any, any crazy wins over, over high-name opponents. You know, he's fought some, some, some good fighters in the past here, but, you know, not, not quite the elite of the division. So um, on top of Alvarez, on top of Aldo, for salary relief, I did toss Charles Oliveira in that lineup. Am I crazy or, or, or not so much? No, I picked him. I, I picked him to win outright. And 
And the, the biggest issue is Charles Oliveira has been, you know, consistency really, just mm-hmm. up and down. You know, strong performances, you know, followed by you know lousy performances. You know, uh, you, like you said, defeated Will Brooks in his last fight, looked brilliant. You know, fights before that essentially no showed. You know, against Ricardo Lamas and Anthony Pettis, so mm-hmm. up and down. And this is your classic grappler versus striker, you know, matchup. Charles Oliveira, 14 career wins by submission, is one of the best ground specialists in the entire sport. Um, and Paul Felder, you know, your traditional, you know, Muay Thai hard-hitting kickboxing style. So, you know, it, again, I agree with you. I, I picked Oliveira, and there are – this is one of – there are some cards, you know, we break down and you look at where you look at – all the salaries and, you know, you say, eh, there's not a whole lot that I would really term, you know, good quality value. You don't have that issue with this card. There are a lot of, a lot of, um, you know, DK wise, at least underdogs who, you know, you could say are live plays in which case, as always, mm-hmm. we advocate that you make multiple lineups and just, you know, throw together a bunch of different combinations. Yeah. You definitely, you make multiple lineups for this type of sport, especially because, you know, if you lose a decision or, or one of your guys gets lost on a fluky, fluky knockout, you're not winning that tournament and you want to keep your hope of winning that tournament and getting that big payday alive as long as possible. So in the sense of Charles Oliveira, I've got a couple either ors for you. Um, what do you think about Drakkar Close and David Tamir? Uh, this is another one where Close is only a plus 160 favorite. And actually, now that I'm looking at these odds, just to backtrack a sec, I'm seeing Oliveira as, at minus 105. So he's almost getting pick'em status. Um, even the site bookmaker has him at his minus 130 favorite over Felder. I mean, it just could, could just be the way that they're taking in money. But it's looking like Oliveira's a pick'em. But uh, comparing Oliveira at 7,700 to Drakkar Close at 7,800, is, is Oliveira your choice in the line? Oh, definitely. I, I because I picked Oliveira and I picked closest opponent David Timor. So mm-hmm. no about no doubt about that for me. Timor, um, his uh, you know undefeated uh, in the UFC. His last fight um, decision Lando Venata in March, who entered with you know a lot of hype you know for that fight. A um, lot of pop for Timor. Good striker, a lot of power. Um, I think he's you know not only I think he's going to win outright, which you know makes him certainly, uh, makes Oliveira certainly the better play for those two. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So the next one, it comes down to picking favorites, because if you use guys like Alvarez or Oliveira, you're going to have some salary room, and you got to pick between favorites. And a lot of it, it's going to be a guy that's really well-known against a guy that's not so well-known. So, like, for example, you have to make a choice between Max Holloway at 9,300 or somebody like Dominic Reyes, who's one of the biggest favorites on the card, at minus 525. If you have to put one of those guys in your lineup and you only have the salary for one, do you have a preference there? You know, that's that something like that is a little more personal preference because when you see a guy early in the card who's such a big salary like that, it's generally because their opponent's not very good, to be honest with you, mm-hmm. because they're just... It, you know, it's not a high-profile fight. It's usually guys who don't have a lot of time with the company, in, in which case we advocate making multiple lineups because all you need is one guy walking across the cage and, you know, stepping the wrong way and his knee popping out and, you know, your whole entire night is over. You know, you, you get nothing from one guy who, you know, takes one wrong step or gets popped with one punch and all of a sudden, you know, your lineup goes, you know, goes to hell. So that, you know, but then again, it, it's, it's like, what do you want to take a risk on? Because obviously you have way, way more, you know, of a resume with Holloway. You've seen what he's done. 
you know, and then you have, you know, another, the other, you know, another guy who in Reyes who, you know, you have women who has limited exposure. So, you know, in that case, it's more of a personal preference, but if you were making multiple lineups, you know, you can always flip flop. Mm -hmm. All right. So one more in a similar sense, I actually, in my lineup, I went with Reyes because I agree it's risky, but at minus 525, Vegas isn't going to have this completely wrong. And then, of course, the odds to finish on that fight are minus 470. So I went with Reyes just because I think, like we talked about at the beginning of the show, the, the Holloway-Aldo discrepancy is, is bigger than it should be. And I think Holloway is a little bit overpriced, though I think he's going to win. Um, I don't think Holloway is going to win by first-round stoppage, and I think Reyes probably has a better chance of that. So I went Reyes on this end. Um, another one... That pops up. Of course, we both love Francis Ngannou at 9,100 here. Um, think actually he's got a pretty good shot at getting that first round knockout. But a fighter that's similarly priced that's 9,000 is Razak Alassan against Saba Homasi. Alassan is a minus 250 favorite, so not quite as big as Reyes. And the fight's got minus 300 odds to finish. Uh, that's Ngannou for you like it is for me? It is. And in these kind of situations, the first, the, the thing that generally the first thing I look at and comes to mind is, you know, what I, what we know about some of these guys. And, you know, we don't have much exposure of, of, you know, and much experience Mm -hmm. of some of these early guys early on in the card. And you look at a guy like Nagano and, you know, we've seen the power he has and we've seen all that. And then we we have an opponent of his in Overeem who's been fighting for a hundred years and, you know, gets hit a lot. So, you know, you want to, you, you know, you know, tendencies of those two guys, as opposed to Al Hassan, who, you know, as he was all eight professional fights under his belt. Mm -hmm. Do you really want to take that risk that that $9,000 salary that he, you know, he, he's, he costs is truly legitimate. Uh, You know, he's not, is he really as uh, worthy of $9,000? You know, Mm -hmm. nine, our salary minus two sixty five favorite. He's probably going to win, you know. But do you really want to take that chance at you know early on in the card when there are so many other fighters who, if you know you're you know a semi serious MMA fan, if you're a semi serious MMA fan, you've seen Alistair Overeem fight a hundred times, you know, yes. you know all the way back with pride almost. You know what kind of fighter he is. You know what kind of fights you get. You know what to look for for his opponents. So. It's this is all and that's not just, you know, DFS and not just MMA. It's really fantasy sports in general. It's just you no one knows how this is any of this is ever gonna play out, which is why we all play all this stuff, but it's how much information can you get mm-hmm. when you set your lines for, for, for football every week. Yeah. You know, you look at the matchup, you see who's playing who, and you try and you know if it you know, team can't contain or you know, look at the New York Giants. They can't guard a tight end. So if they're playing, you know, a team, you know, with a, you know, a garbage tight end, the tight end scores against the Giants every single week. All of a sudden, the guy who stinks becomes a good value play. So, I'm all over Jared Cook and DFS this week, yeah, by the way, but <laughs> that's that's besides I, the point. I, I, Giants have had a rough year, so you know, you try and get as much information as you can, and you know, you make the best decisions you can. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but. That's why we're here to try and help you out. Yeah, we at least give you some of the background on these guys for the casual fans or guys that might be interested in playing DraftKings for the first time. And, and, and you know, the Alisson, I threw him in there because, you know, I'm not entirely – Saba Hamas got, got smoked pretty badly by Tim Means in the second round. And, you know, he is an American top team product, though, uh, with a decent amount of fights under his belt, so you never know. But 
Anyway, that's going to wrap things up. Thank you so much for joining me, John. This is a blast discussing all of these main fights and maybe some of these under-the-radar ones that can help uh, be the game-changer in helping your bankroll and winning on DraftKings this week. Ton of uh, ton of action this week. Hopefully, these uh, so there's some big contests on there. I mean, I'm just kind of scrolling through the lobby here, and uh, the biggest one I'm seeing, they've got the hook uh, that is 17,600 entries. Uh, $8 entry there. So that's one I'm looking to get involved in. I, I always like to strike two or three entry max where you can use some of the combinations that we talked about of favorites and hope that one of those hits big. Uh, but that's going to wrap things up. Thanks again for listening to the Rotowire Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. Uh, once again, if you want to follow John on Twitter, that's at J O N L I T T E R I N E at John Littering. I'm Jake Litarski at Jakeski52. John, thanks so much for joining you. We're going to be back before UFC 219, which is Chris Cyborg and Holly Holm. That'll be in Las Vegas at T-Mobile. Until then, good luck, everyone. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining, John. All right, guys. Talk to you soon. Thanks. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.